And now, it's time for the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show with Snowden Bishop. Listen in as Snowden interviews cannabis industry pioneers, marijuana experts, policymakers, medical practitioners, patients, and other amazing individuals with compelling stories to share. It all happens right now. Here's the cannabis reporter, Snowden Bishop. Hi, and welcome back to the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. I'm Snowden Bishop, and happy you are joining us today. Imagine waking up one day to find your entire body covered with welts and having no idea why. Then imagine other seemingly unrelated symptoms coming and going without warning, often without any medical explanation. While some autoimmune conditions can be severe enough to force a prolonged medical leave of absence from work, those conditions that are less severe show up as an irritation that you can actually work through, albeit with misery for an entire day. Either way, they can make you feel as though your body's been invaded by gremlins. While some autoimmune diseases are treatable, some are not. One patient's condition may respond well to a certain drug, while the same condition in another patient may get worse or become resistant after prolonged treatment. Whatever the case may be, scientists have been able to narrow down some root causes, such as inflammation in the gut, caused by a wide variety of issues from environmental exposure to viral infections and everything in between. Scientists are also beginning to understand how these conditions begin, and there are effective pharmaceutical drugs that can reduce some of the symptoms. But more interesting is a relatively new science pointing toward imbalances in the body as a means for identifying treatments and, with any luck, a cure. Our bodies are governed by a synergistic network of intricate systems that work together to keep us in homeostasis. Interruptions to one system can have a domino effect on the others, and when one system is malfunctioning, it puts undue stress on all of the other systems in our bodies vying to compensate so that they can restore balance. Inflammation is often the result, and we are learning, is a common denominator to nearly all autoimmune diseases. Surprisingly, scientists are finding that cannabinoid deficiency may also be another common denominator, which explains why so many people with autoimmune diseases are reporting incredible healing with cannabis therapy. That is the topic of our show today and something our guest, Jamie Hadfield, knows a lot about. Jamie Hadfield is a registered nurse licensed in 14 states with a master's degree and 20 years of experience. She's also a trainer of physicians at Yale and seven other top medical institutions. And today she is the Functional Medical Clinical Director at X-Age Medical, where she focuses on underlying causes of chronic diseases using customized diet, nutrition, supplements, and CBD. This form of treatment ensures that patients can avoid expensive or risky conventional medical treatments involving surgery and dangerous pharmaceutical drugs. That's something that she learned from personal experience as she is herself a late-stage chronic disease survivor who suffered with five debilitating conditions simultaneously. 
the 800 or so medical doctors she spoke with around the world and eight physician specialists that treated her were at a total loss on how to improve her condition. In fact, nothing worked until she extensively studied and mastered modern functional medicine, which is still in its infancy and why none of her doctors knew about it, but it was the only thing that made a massive difference for her in the first 30 days of starting this form of treatment. Jamie, thank you so much for being here. I am just amazed that you've been through so much and come out the other side um, much better for the wear. I can, I can see that and wow. <laughs> so what I'd like to know is as a registered nurse, how did you learn about CBD and how did you figure that that was going to help you? Well, that was a long road uh, to, to, for that answer, and I'll get to that, but thank you for letting me on your show. Like you said, I, I suffered from four horrible, miserable diseases, and a part of that journey, I ended up starting a genomics nutrition, and I went and got certified in, in genomics. And when I was studying that, you were looking at the methylation cycle, the mitochondria, and then there was a section with inflammation and hemp oil was on that section of how to combat inflammation. And it made me question because we've been given NSAIDs and cortisone and prednisone, and I've heard of you know, turmeric helping with inflammation. So when I saw hemp oil, I dove in a deep investigation of how, how hemp oil, how CBD oil, how the cannabis plant actually works. So that's how I started. So explain a little bit about functional medicine, because just on the surface, I can understand what it is, but tell me a little bit about where it originated in terms of medical practice. And I mean, it's not very common. No, it is not. Well, it's starting to become more common. It really, functional medicine started about 20 years ago. And it's a systems biology approach to medicine. Uh, if you want to think of it this way, taking a 30,000 foot view, going up in the airplane and looking at the body of at all the systems and how the systems actually work together and how they're intertwined. Unfortunately, today in medical school, conventional medicine school, what we learn is a symptom. And when we understand that symptom, we put it into a classification, endocrinology, cardiology, and then we become experts in that field. And then unfortunately we go, oh, if I don't know that information or we refer you out to an endocrinologist or a neurologist because you can, we only specialize in a certain expertise. And functional medicine doesn't believe, but believes that the body, all of those systems are interconnected and they work together. And there's a variety of things besides just pharmaceuticals that you can actually throw. And functional medicine does believe in pharmaceuticals, but it also looks at trying to find the root cause of disease. And really when, we're, we're, when I'm saying root cause of disease, we're looking at your emotional and your mental and your spiritual well-being, but we're also looking at your genetic predisposition and your experiences and attitudes and beliefs with life which include, if you kind of trickled that down a little bit more, that includes sleep and relaxation, exercise and movement and nutrition, stress and your stress resilience, and trauma and your environmental pollutions, and even your microorganisms that are actually in your body, the good and the bad bacteria that we have in our body. So kind of it was, 
it really is a fundamental you know, organizing of these symptoms of how the body even assimilates your food and how your defense and your repair is and your energy and how your body transports information. So what's really interesting to me is that this approach naturally fits the study of the endocannabinoid system, which modulates so many other systems in our body and I know that most medical schools don't even cover this. I mean, they maybe will mention the endocannabinoid system, but there are very few schools still, which I find astonishing, that really don't delve into it, even though it's one of the major governing systems in our bodies. So when you take this approach and you look at all of the conventional ways of looking at the human body, and then you add into the mix the endocannabinoid system, how big a difference did that make in your study of functional medicine? Well, really, functional medicine kind of encourages practitioners to kind of move along the branches of the tree, trying to kind of find the, really the root problem. And... You're right. Unfortunately, in medical school, we don't learn about the endocannabinoid system, but we didn't really discover the endocannabinoid system until Dr. Raphael McCollin studied that. And one of the things that I'm trying to do is educate physicians of what the endocannabinoid system is, because Dr. Raphael McCollin, he kind of states that really this is a system in the body. We have receptors and those receptors are aligned to kind of create homeostasis in the body. And a homeostasis really means balance in the body. And it, to me, it makes sense that we have a system in the body that actually balances the other systems. So when I found out that, about the endocannabinoid system, that was kind of an aha moment. And ever since I've been trying to train physicians and healthcare professionals about the, the endocannabinoid system. And for those who don't know, Dr. Mushulam is actually at the Technion Institute in Israel. And, you know, it's really fascinating to read so many of these studies that do come out of Israel they're so far ahead of the game in terms of the medical science of cannabis. So yeah, so of course, homeostasis, I've heard this before as well from a number of other physicians and nurses that I've interviewed on this show. And it, it seems that in general, that balance really does impact diseases. I was speaking with Dr. Bonnie Goldstein a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if you know who she is, but she was explaining to me that, that one of the common denominators in so many critical um, diseases happens to be a deficiency in the endocannabinoid system, meaning we're not manufacturing enough CBD within our own body to feed our own system. And that's where cannabis oil will come in to supplement what our bodies will naturally produce when we're young. So did you look into that with your own diseases? Did you look to see if perhaps there was a deficiency once you learned what this was and how cannabis could help you? The answer is yes. I assumed once I understood this, I assumed that I actually had a deficiency. Uh, one of the things that I think people need to realize is that it's natural to kind of resist change and for better or for re worse. We as human beings, we re resist the, the we resist change. And uh, as I was changing, because I believe there's a combination of, of using CBD, there's a combination 
of things that you need to do to get your body well. And I kind of mentioned those a little bit earlier, but you know, sleep and managing your stress uh, all come all come into play. And nutrition is really a big one because food is information for your body. One of the interesting things that I did find out was even high percentage of dark chocolate ha creates a anandamide. And anandamide is one of the signaling molecules uh, for the cannabinoid system. And there's been studies that were showing that there's CBD in breast milk and actually even in cauliflower. And so some of these natural foods that we are eating have cannabinoids. And unfortunately, just because of what they've done to our food supply, we don't have as many cannabinoids that we're actually getting through our food resources. And so it naturally makes sense that nature would provide a plant that we could break down and take an addition if we were depleted in that. Well, you know, cannabis has been used for thousands of years. I mean, I think the earliest evidence of cannabis in wellness uh, appeared in a medicine man's bag from, you know, 4000 BC or, or it does go back centuries. So it, it completely makes sense. But I've heard that before as well about chocolate and also another one that has, as far as other foods are concerned, a higher concentration of cannabinoid molecules, and that would be echinacea, which was mm. something that I found really interesting as well. Not as high as cannabis, obviously, but that's uh, definitely preventative medicine for people who subscribe to the holistic healing aspects of medicine. But I'm interested to know when you're working with some of these doctors and educating them and some of these big universities like Ivy League schools, for example, what kind of response do you get? Well, okay, so I'm no longer teaching at Yale and some of the big larger universities. I've moved, I now currently live in Utah. So my main people that I'm educating now is it, kind of the Utah population uh, group. I'm a part of a hormone group. And, and then I've been invited to several different conferences that I've went out of state with. So I'm not no longer educating, but when I'm educating the physicians, uh, most of them say that's the most information that I've ever heard on the cannabinoid system. And thank you for presenting it. And uh, I would like to know more information uh, because they have feel like they're that the THC is kind of a taboo, uh, and and so did I. I, I. You know, so did I. I thought cannabis was, I, I thought it was bad for you. Uh, I thought it was for druggies, and I didn't understand the system until I started diving into the research. And for physicians, they're wanting, they want medical evidence. And we, ha even though there's eight thousand PubMed studies on cannabis, there's still a lot that we don't know about cannabis. And so some of them are hesitant because we don't know all the information about cannabis. But I would say that the majority of them want more information and want to learn about the system once they understand that it's not a drug, that we actually have these receptors in our body. Uh, most of them are willing to listen once they understand that it's a, a system and not just I'm not promoting or pushing a plant. 
You know, I've heard that Utah, a lot of the messaging about cannabis in Utah still draws back to that reefer madness mentality about (laughs) cannabis, which is really unfortunate. I had a mom on this show, one of the early episodes a couple years ago, who is basically a cannabis refugee. She had to leave the state of Utah because her daughter, who was critically ill, born without a pituitary gland and had all sorts of problems for a lot of the first part of her life. And it wasn't until she discovered CBD oil that her daughter actually started functioning normally. And it was really a shame because when authorities within her town learned about this, they sent Child Protective Services to pick up her daughter when she returned from Colorado at one point. And she has since moved to Oregon so that she could get the care that she needs for her daughter. But she had to jump through a lot of hoops. And now with pending legislation, and I know that you'll be speaking at the upcoming conference, which I'll put information about on the website, but it's really, it's really a brand new study for a lot of professionals in Utah right now. How do you feel the um, receptivity is in terms of the general public starting to embrace this science? I mean, have you, have you felt a palpable difference since people have started talking about legislation? Yeah, I think there's an uprising I think a lot of people are tired uh, that the medicine, the current medical system that we have is a little bit broken and really expensive. You know, so many patients and even physicians get really frustrated with insurance companies. And uh, since I started studying functional medicine, most functional medicine practitioners are cash pay because they don't want to be regulated on what the insurance company tells them what they can and can't uh, give to their patients. And so most functional medicine practitioners are cash paying. And cannabis all comes to education. I think once people understand that uh, we have these receptors, we have modulating signaling receptors in our body, we have enzymes in our body. I think once people understand that this is coming from, well, how can we create the body into balance and how can we get your body into balance? Everybody wants to feel well, everybody. And uh, once they understand here is a plant uh, that can bring my body back into balance and help inflammation and it's neuroprotective and once they understand really what it does in the body and the system, I think most people, once I have a conversation with them, it's, it's like the floodgates open and they want to know more information because it's like, oh, I had no idea. And so I think the public, if, if they can properly be introduced to it, is open arms to it. Yeah, well, one can really hope. And I, I have a lot of faith that when people do start learning about it, that those those old tapes in their heads will go away <laughs> rather quickly. And then, you know, the people who are in the state assembly and in other areas of regulatory oversight, they will start to understand this as well. But it, it seems that the people who are making the laws about this are the last people to accept it, which is really unfortunate. 
And we've seen this, too, with the American Medical Association begging the DEA to reverse its stance on cannabis. And, you know, this has been going on for decades. <laughs> it just it, it never seems to happen. I noticed that, for instance, the LDS Church has sent out a lot of memos advising people against regulating cannabis. Have you seen any grassroots lobbying efforts with the LDS Church to try to explain to them how important this is to human health? Uh, yes, I have. Uh, the church came out uh, several, several months ago and kind of put a strong stance on the cannabis laws. And then recently, and they had, in fact, they had a lawyer that wrote like 25 different articles stance of why, why not to use cannabis. And then as of probably a month ago, they came out and said, well, we believe now we believe in medical marijuana, but we don't believe in adult use or recreational use. And there is a proposition too that is coming up for ballot in November. And they have said to their church members that they believe in medical marijuana and they, they support it, but they don't believe in this ballot a proposition too, which is unfortunate because I know the Utah Patient Coalition, uh, there was a surrounding of people trying to, an uprising, trying to educate, saying, hey, we wanted you guys to be a part of this bill and help create this bill when we proposed it to the legislation. And unfortunately, uh, they wouldn't have anything to do with it at that stage. And now the Prop 2 has been written and then they come out and, and make that stance. So I hope, I encourage just, pe uh, you know, because if this, is n this has nothing, in my opinion, this has nothing to do with uh, church and state should be separate. And this is a medical issue. And if we call, when we look at the research, the scientific research, I want people to make their decisions based on the science and the studies. And like I said, we have over 8,000 of them uh, on cannabis, and we, hopefully we have more once some of the legislation restrictions get removed. What is it specifically that they're objecting to with Prop 2? Do you know? Uh, there are some dispensaries that are allowed in the proposition, and they're also, they, in, back in May of 2018, they actually came out and you can cultivate hemp in the state of Utah, and that got passed in May 2018. Uh, the prop is would allow people to grow in their homes and they don't fill, you know, I, I think two plants in their homes. I could, I could be wrong about that, but I believe it's two plants in the homes. And I don't believe that they believe that uh, people should be able to grow in within their own homes. And then there's other different regulations in regards to how close you are to a school homes. Uh, you can't actually grow the, even hemp. You can't grow hemp if you're near a residential. And so I think it's some of those laws that they're actually inhibiting. Yeah, so I, I find it really interesting. I mean, it's, it's going to be so tightly regulated anyway, so it, it really wouldn't matter if it were near a school. I mean, certainly illicit uh, drugs are readily available to just about anybody who wants them anywhere in the country, despite the, the strict laws against them. In Colorado, for example, when they first had their 
adult use law, they saw crime rates actually go down when it comes to, you know, illicit marijuana. So I just find that really sad that <laughs> this is something that's entering into the conversation. And, you know, with hemp being legalized to grow there, is it only on universities? I have to look into this, actually. I don't really know. Do you know? <laughs> uh, no, the, it's, the, the university is already currently growing. Uh, it's, it's University of Utah that's already currently growing, and they have uh, permission from the IRB to actually grow more. Uh, the cultivation of hemp, you just have to apply for a different licensure. And uh, September 1st, they were supposed to release the policies and the procedures of how to actually to cultivate the hemp and how they wanted the hemp cultivated. And I have not seen that yet. So I don't know, actually know if that's been released because it's now September 12th and I haven't seen it and I've been looking for it. Um, and I do know that the Utah uh, Patient Coalition Group for Prop 2, there's a meeting on Friday uh, trying to gain support of Proposition 2. I, I kind of want to talk about this a little bit just because we've talked about hemp. Now, I'm a pro pro big proponent of CBD, and you can get CBD from the hemp plant, the marijuana plant, and also the hops plant. And those are the three plants that we currently know that we can uh, extract CBD from. Uh, uh, according to the Israel research team, uh, they actually came out and stated that they actually believe it's a little bit more efficacious if it comes from the marijuana plant because what there's called what's an entourage effect. And that entourage effect has, you know, is, uses a multiple of the other different uh, cannabinoid receptors, CBG, N, and uh, a few others. And, but currently in the state of Utah, it's, a, it's unfortunate because we can only really uh, sell currently hemp that's less than 0.3%. So I would like to see a, you know, if on the laws, I would like to see where we could actually add a little bit of THC because I'm not a, I'm, I'm a big proponent of what CBD can do. And one thing that a lot of people in Utah that I am constantly fighting, and I would actually say not just in Utah, nationally, uh, CBD counteracts THC. When you have, a, when you're in a high, you have a higher amount of THC in your system. And what you give to counteract that is CBD, and you can take a couple different drops, and CBD will take you actually out of the high. And I think that's really important people for people to know that uh, if you don't want to get high, you don't need to get high. Uh, that, that's not what this system, and that's not what the endocannabinoid system is about. That's not even what cannabis is about. Well, certainly the opiates that are prescribed produce a high as well. And that's one of the strange ironies about the objection to THC is that there are other legal pharmaceutical drugs that people will steal out of their parents' medicine chests and <laughs> and they'll use them recreationally. And the stigma around that is not nearly as intense as the stigma around THC 
or getting people high. And yeah, and I've heard that too, that, you know, if you do have all of the other cannabinoids in your system at the same time, that the effect of the THC is not going to be as strong, if you will. And also, when you're in deep pain, and I don't know if there's a medical reason for this or not, but when you're in deep pain and someone gives you a hydrocodone to take, it's not going to make you high as much as it's going to relieve your pain. And I'm wondering, is that the same phenomenon that you get with THC as well? Like when it's being used for a purpose that is necessary, you know, such as uh, to alleviate pain or to heal the wasting effect and make people more hungry so that they can nourish their bodies. Is, is it the same kind of effect, if you will? Well, opioids work on the endorphin system, uh, just like your adrenaline and your epinephrine. And uh, I can say that I was addicted to exercise at one stage in my life. And because I liked, I liked the hit, I just liked the natural hit. Um, but I, I, most people that have regularly that exercised in their life, they don't, they, they want to go exercise again, because they want those endorphins actually released. Uh, there is an opioid ec epidemic in this nation right now. And actually, Utah is probably one of the worst states with uh, opioids and antidepressants and benzodiazepines. Uh, we're, it, the state that I currently live in is the number one abuser of all of those. Uh, and in my opinion, some of that is because uh, it's it's legal. They can go to their physician. Their physician will write them a, a script and they only have a 15-minute visit. Unfortunately, we're not getting to the root cause of, of what that issue is. Is that because nutritionally you're not getting the right me me medicine to your body and food is medicine? Uh, are you not sleeping at night and that's causing you to become anxious because your body's not being put into a parasympathetic mode, a rest and digest mode? I think some of that, uh, that all comes into play uh, with, with cannabis. Now, cannabis works. With, this is a completely different system. We have CB1 receptors and CBD2 or CB2 receptors. And right now we have a lot of talk if there's CB3 and CB4 receptors in our body. And we also have signaling cannabinoid receptors, um, anandamide and 2-AG that are, that are signaling. So opioids uh, are using a completely different system than the cannabis plant. Uh, I think that's very important for people to know. Now, do I feel like uh, you can take too much cannabis? Uh, and uh, that's really what I think your question was asking. And the question is, well, is we'll start, start out is, slow. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just, let me just uh, say the, the, what I was trying to get at is that, you know, when the, people are afraid of the high, right? And I, I know for myself that um, I, I don't like to take any uh, opiate drugs at all. I just, I just have an aversion to them, but, when I've needed them in the past and been prescribed opiate drugs, it, it didn't make me high. Whereas I've heard from people who have taken them without having that severe pain that it does make them high. And so I'm wondering if THC would have that 
would if it would be a similar response in that when you need it for the pain, it's not going to make your mind feel that that euphoric effect as much as it is just going to help to alleviate your pain, similar in similar to the way. What I was trying to get at is that, you know, when the, people are afraid of the high, right? And I know for myself that I don't like to take any opiate drugs at all. I just I just have an aversion to them. But when I've needed them in the past, opiate drugs didn't make me high. Whereas I've heard from people who have taken them without having that severe pain that it does make them high. And so I'm wondering if THC would have a similar response in that when you need it for the pain, it's not going to make your mind feel that, that euphoric effect as much as it is just going to help to alleviate your pain, similar, in, similar to the way, even though I know it's a completely different receptive system, but I'm just wondering if the effect it, it, from, from the patient's angle is similar. I don't know if I have a good answer for that. Uh, and it's a, it's a question, you know, that I, I've wondered, yeah. Yeah, I don't. And it's a, it's a question, you know, that I, I've wondered, yeah. I believe with cannabis, it puts your body into a homeo, right, where I was saying I was trying to, the receptor sites have an opposite effect of each other. So I believe that they'll kind of counteract and I don't, and your body will go, no, I don't need that. And it will either block the receptor or stimulate the receptor. I don't, I, that one of the things I don't know is because with that happening, the body's wanting to find that normal uh, pH, that normal balance. So that's one thing I would have to say, but I think I don't know the, the research on that. It's an interesting question. <laughs> it is an interesting question. Yeah, I, I'm going to look into that as well. It's, it's something that, yeah, that I've, I've just wondered about. So, but there's, there's just so much to learn. And, and I feel personally that cannabis is going to completely transform the field of medicine. You know, once more and more scientific research comes out, it, it should be pretty, um, I think it'll be eye-opening to a lot of people. And you had a condition, if you don't mind me talking about it, uh, called leaky gut. Is that correct? Did I read that correctly in, in the materials that you sent me? Yes, uh, that, is, okay. that is correct. Uh, anyone, anyone that has an autoimmune disease has leaky gut. Okay, I have heard that. And I've also heard that the effect that CBD particularly, but um, whole plant cannabis, which obviously is more effective because of the entourage effect, has a way of actually, because what, I, what I've heard is that with leaky gut syndrome, a lot of antigens, is that the right word for it, can enter the bloodstream and, and there are a lot of toxic chemicals that can also enter the bloodstream and then penetrate the blood brain barrier, which is something that can affect cognition and can affect a lot of things in the brain. And the reason I'm asking this is that um, I've interviewed a couple of people about autism in the past. And there seems to be a correlation between a sudden onset of autism and things that are going on in the in the lower digestive tract. And CBD actually shores up the neuroreceptors so that they're not 
as uh, damaged by these toxins that can penetrate the blood-brain barrier. Do you know, are you familiar with this at all? Do you know, can you speak to it? Yeah, so I agree with you that I believe that uh, cannabis is the next medical revolution. And I really do believe it's, uh, it's like a revolution, just like penicillin was so great. I believe cannabis is going to be the next uh, blockbuster with that. Uh, CBD and gut health. Well, in functional medicine, even naturopathic medicine, Ayurvedic medicine, because I've studied all of them, uh, virtually believe that your gut function controls uh, healthy states and illness and you heal the gut and you heal the skin you heal the gut you there's a term called leaky heal leaky gut leaky skin leaky gut leaky brain uh, those are all interconnected uh, and you heal the gut and all of those other symptoms actually go away so what we know about uh, the cannabis what it does for gut function is we know it basically kind of controls most of the gut function we know that the, the CBD, CB1 receptors stimulate the gut motility in, in healthy states, and they actually help modulate the appetite. That's where people will say the munchies, and that's where chemo and anorexia and eating disorders come into play. But we know the CB2 receptors uh, decrease that excessive abnormal motility in the GI. And we know that the CB2 receptors also restore that normal gut motility and it, the CB2 um, reduces nausea. And that, that, that is what we do know with uh, the gut function. We know that uh, across the blood-brain barrier that it is that your blood really is connected to, with a bunch of nerves and a signaling uh, and we know from genetically once I under started to understand genetically we know people have a COMT gene and an MOAB gene that that affects your serotonin your and your GABA which really are your happy and your sad uh, mood. And we do know that uh, cannabis affects those, those neurotransmitters. And we also know that cannabis kind of protects and kind of puts a sheath over some of those neuro uh, signaling, uh, signaling factors. And uh, a part of one of the things that we, we kind of learned that was kind of an aha was that these receptors are on the presynaptic cleft and they kind of go in a retrograde, meaning a backward uh, way of transmitting versus regular nerves. Uh, regular nerves move forward and this kind of goes into a backwards. That's what we do know about cannabis. And that, was, that in itself was a little bit revolutionary that we could, we could communicate both directions. Uh, and I think that that will come uh, as a key as, as we start to study cannabis even more. I think uh, we'll start to understand how it affects the blood-brain barrier that you're talking about even more. It is incredibly fascinating. Wow. That's a lot to think about what you just gave us. And I really appreciate you going into that detail because I think that um, 
you know, even people who have no uh, knowledge about the field of medicine at all can certainly understand how these systems all work together. And I just hope that as people go to the ballot boxes this November, that they keep in mind that this really is not a movement of a bunch of hippies trying to get everybody high. And it's certainly not a movement to try to influence children in an adverse way. This is a movement to protect human health. And everything that you've just said really leads to that final conclusion. So you have a, an open platform here to talk to a lot of people, including in, in places where they're not even considering any kind of uh, medical marijuana legislation yet. What is the big takeaway for you to convince people that this is just of vital importance? One, I think it, it affects every system in your body. Cannabis has been well-researched and it affects every system in your body uh, to either create just or, or, or break down something in your body that is a harm or is that you want to be enhanced. And I think that I would tell people that please speak to somebody that's in the industry. Just don't ask any of your, unfortunately, at this stage, just don't ask. I, I, I want to I want to promote. Go to your healthcare provider and talk to them. But but if you can tell that your healthcare provider doesn't really know anything about cannabis, please reach out to other people that you do know that have are, that are well researched in cannabis. Because unfortunately, that is kind of what we're we're faced against right now. And I'm, I'm faced that way with uh, functional medicine too. It's, I'm trying to get physicians to convert and we've, we're converting quite a few physicians because functional medicine really believes in the conventional medicine, but let's find the root cause of that versus just masking it with a symptom. And the way that you introduced me was I did see 800 physicians and I was in the medical field for 20 years and I understood the science I was teaching I was teaching the science and a part of my career was for five years I ran pharmaceutical studies and I helped put 15 different drugs on the market and that helped me understand and be to be able to read the research and the studies that I'm reading about cannabis that you can that you can't actually deny uh, regardless if they're a double placebo uh, blinded control study, which is what physicians are referring to. So I would tell people to please make sure that you ask somebody that has actually uh, knows about cannabis uh, to get, to get their advice from. And I, I would also actually ask them uh, CBD is now, you know, majority of states CBD is legal in all 50 states, a lot of people promote that and to give it a try themselves and see and to have the monitor your own behavior, monitor if it affects your focus, monitor if it helps with your inflammation. Uh, for me, uh, genetically, I don't turn off inflammation very well in my body. I have three of the four genes that turn on inflammation really easily. Uh, but my, I have only two receptors that turn off inflammation. And I am a person 
I don't take drugs. I've never, I don't even think I've taken 50 Tylenol in my entire life. Uh, and I need cannabis to help my body turn off inflammation. And I'm actually very supportive of that because it is a natural source. It's that's very interesting to me, actually, what you're saying there. And I, I couldn't agree more. This is just so very, very important. And I think um, one of the things that'll be really great if if Prop 2 does pass in Utah is that it will open up the doors for some more of these clinical studies because everyone in policymaking always complains, well, there aren't any approved U.S. studies. Well, the reason for that is that it's been Schedule 1 and they're not allowing it. And fortunately, there, the law that you were talking about that made CBD legal in all 50 states was due to that Ninth Circuit ruling back in 2004, which opened the door for hemp-derived CBD to gain uh, legality everywhere in the United States. And unfortunately, a lot of people don't know this, but and we've talked about it in the last few weeks, but the Ninth Circuit actually, they were approached by the Hemp Industries Association that questioned whether or not adding a numerical code to CBD was illegal because of that 2004 ruling. And when they looked at it, they said, oh, no, well, the DEA had every right to do that because they opened it up for discussion and nobody responded to the discussion. But the problem is they didn't publicize it when they were about to do it. So when the announcement came out, everyone in the industry was completely blindsided. And they sided with, the Ninth Circuit sided with the DEA on that particular matter. So now there's all this gray area about it but we're told that it's not being enforced on a national level. And it seems so far, everybody's still selling CBD online. So there shouldn't be any problems with it. But I just had to, to bring that into the mix because we've had a lot of questions from people calling us to say, oh, wait a minute, um, is it legal in 50 states now? You know, based on stories that we've written. And the truth is, um, no two lawyers will agree on this matter that I've not met two lawyers that have exactly the same opinion about how to interpret that Ninth Circuit decision. So it's like every man for himself. But the very good news is that that the farm bill, which will legalize hemp if it passes through the Congress, it's already passed the Senate. This is Mitch McConnell's bill. So and it had wide bipartisan support. That passed in the Senate. It's about to pass in, in Congress. So if anyone listening feels so compelled, please pick up the phone and call your congressional representatives and tell them, yes, please pass it as is. Don't add any restrictions on CBD. <laughs> we need that in this country desperately. You know, and I have a funny feeling that it's going to be removed from the schedules within the next two years. That's my intuitive prediction. <laughs> so let's hope that's the case. But Clearly, this is going to open the doors for study. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I was going to just add what you are saying. So once that does get removed from Schedule 1 and it is no longer a DEA issue, when I spoke to one of my attorneys, uh, the issue is Epidiolex has got approved um, through the FDA as a CBD isolate drug. 
And if I was that pharmaceutical company, I would want to say that CBD is classified as a drug if I was a pharmaceutical company. And I would want that uh, regulated. And so one of my fears is the companies that are currently producing CBD isolate that uh, Epidiolex might uh, put a wrench in what happens there. But then there's a classification of, well, what happens to full spectrum CBD and liposomal and nanotechnology CBD. And then also we have a product on the market that's Tylenol or ibuprofen where we have a prescription grade ibuprofen. And then we have, you know, 500 milligrams, 1,000 milligrams that are sold over the counter. And if I was that pharmaceutical company, I would push for something like that. Uh, but I'm not a, that pharmaceutical company. Uh, and I, I, I do believe that uh, people should be able to cultivate their own hemp and their own CBD if, if, if they need to. But I do believe that it needs somebody who is distributing it needs to be regulated on, and, and, and sourcing and pesticides and that their product needs to be checked and uh, labeled accordingly. Unfortunately, today, currently, the labels, because the FDA's hands are not a part of it, uh, there is really no labeling uh, requirements. And a lot of companies are just putting something on there and they're not getting it third-party tested. So for, for, from a practitioner st standpoint, I, I want some type of regulation because I want to know what I'm giving to the patient or the client. Yeah, I hear you on that. And I think that there's a lot of self-regulation going on right now with the companies that are producing because obviously everyone is concerned about the mold and the pesticides and other pathogens that sort of enter the mix when people are just left to their own devices. So... And I, I wonder if Prop 2 will actually address that problem as well. Have you heard? Well, no, that's a kind of an issue for me, to be honest, because we do need to create laboratory. We need to, sorry, my phone just, my computer just talked. Uh, we need laboratories in, in my opinion, every state that will check and verify uh, the, the cannabinoid levels and the molds. And uh, right now, uh, because I am the state that I am in, I outsource that to a different state. And I think every state needs to have some type of laboratory that, that checks that, verifies it. I even think for individual people, once they get a product, if they wanted to go test it, they should be able to have the right to go test it. I agree with that. And I wish that that were the case, although I think most people wouldn't even know the first uh, place to start if they wanted to do that. But I know in California, they have some very, very strict testing regulations that are above and beyond what they had with their medical program now that they have the adult use program. And I know that it's causing some issues with some of the companies that are there who have been self-regulating their own testing and they've been very strict about their own testing but now there are testing requirements at every stage of production which is adding to the cost significantly 
for these producers. And I know that that's something that they have to sort out in the state of California. But then you have other states where the regulations aren't nearly as stringent, but then you're finding people are getting sick with some of the exposures that they're having to these pathogens that are lurking in in untested plants. So I totally hear you on that. And I think that if Prop 2 does pass, it seems logical that the industry would begin to self-regulate and start making it known. I mean, anybody who produces a plant that hasn't been tested runs the risk of a competitor coming in and testing their plant. So it's really in their best interest to ensure that the product that they're putting out there is pure so that they don't run into PR snags down the road, I would think. But anyway, yeah, there's there's just so much. I think it really needs to be affordable because I don't want to see all of these cannabis companies uh, not be able to make it because of the regulations uh, that are put into place to, I, I, I am a supporter of small businesses and I want to see a lot of these small businesses uh, succeed, including my own uh, with Legends Health, Wellness and Performance that I put out a, you know, a CBD isolate currently uh, it, uh, soon moving to a full spectrum. But I, so I'm a big support of uh, these small bit businesses uh, not being over-regulated and the tests be outrageously priced. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Well, we've got a lot of work to do <laughs> in terms of, you know, educating the public, in terms of getting the word out so that these companies can move more freely uh, within their states and... I'm looking forward to the outcome. I hope that Prop 2 does pass. Tell me, um, you've got a speaking engagement coming up, correct, in the, in the Utah uh, Cannabis Conference that's coming up. And that will be actually the first in the state. Is that right? That is correct. Utah Can is held in October. And uh, I think it's at the, in fact, I don't know the details, but I, I believe it's at the... Um, Larry H. Miller, Miller building. And yes, I will be one of the speakers there uh, trying to educate. I'll be doing a physician. I'll be speaking to physicians and then I'll do another talk to the general public uh, just because they won't, want, we, they won't need to know all the information that the physicians are wanting to know. Yeah, well, I will definitely be putting information about that on the archive of this episode which people can go and just look and I'll put a link to your website and all of that. So yeah, and I'll be interested to see how it goes in Utah. I'm, I'm excited for you and uh, good luck with your talks and hopefully we'll speak again sometime really soon. Wow. Well, Jamie, thank you so much for taking the time today. I know we have a signal that it is time for us to start wrapping this up. Any last thoughts before we close? Uh, I, I will say, uh, research your CBD and uh, research the product and uh, vote yes to the proposition. And, and let's see if we can get more states and more physicians uh, educated in what cannabis can do. Good points. Good points. So, well, thank you again. I really appreciate your being here. Uh, thank you. Really appreciate it. Oh, once again, it's time to bring yet another show to a close. 
I'd like to personally thank my guest, Jamie Hadfield, for sharing her insights and knowledge with us today. If you'd like to learn more about the work that she's doing, please visit us online at thecannabisreporter.com. Click podcast to find today's episode, and there you will find her bio along with information and a link to her website. Also, please check out our event page for You Can. It'll be the first cannabis expo in Utah. That is progress. We have a lot of people to thank. First, I'd like to express our gratitude for our radio sponsors, Canisphere Biotech and Healthterra. We certainly couldn't be doing this without you. I'd also like to thank Eric Goodall, composer of our theme song, the producing team here at Cannabis Reporter for making us shine every single week, and our program directors at XRQK Radio Network and Society Bites Radio for distributing our show. And last but not least, thanks to all of you for listening. I'm your host, Snowden Bishop, inviting you to join me next week, same time, same place, for another episode of the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. Until we meet again, be safe, stay informed, share what you've learned, and to make it a great day. Every is calling.